Man, sometimes it just seems like we can't get through a day without butting heads with somebody that we're in a relationship with, whether it's our children or our spouse or our boss or somebody that works for us. And, and although we want perfect relationships to happen, we don't ever want conflict to occur, it's just going to happen. Because why? Because we are all imperfect people. We all make mistakes. We all say things we shouldn't or we do things that we shouldn't or or we do things or say things that later we regret and we wish we could kind of go back. And, and so right now we're in a four-week series, the four G's of, uh, of conflict resolution. And last week, our first G was what? Glorify God, I heard it out there. Um, glorify God. And, and I wonder if you had a conflict or you had a struggle with somebody this week, if, if you didn't stop and say, how can I glorify God in this situation. And, and you paused for a moment and you prayed and you said, Lord, give me the strength in this to do what you want me to do. And I wonder, I wonder how that went. Um, because honestly, it changes things when we stop and we seek to glorify God in whatever it is that we're doing. Um, heading off to work, teaching school, and especially in the midst of conflict. Now, we would often say that conflict isn't a good thing, that it's a terrible thing, that we should, we should avoid it at all costs. In fact, sometimes that's what I want to do. You know, I, 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 just, I just want it to go away. I, 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 don't, I don't want it to exist. But we heard last week that that's not how, that, how we tackle conflict. In fact, we also saw last week that it's not necessarily bad or destructive, that there are positive things that can come out of conflict, and there are positive contributions that, that we as people and as individuals and as Christians, we can have in the midst of conflicts. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29 says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And so as we are trying to conform to be like Jesus Christ, God takes all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, he can take all things and he can work them for good. So that conflict that you're having with someone, God can turn that around and he can use it. it that conflict, maybe it's a long-standing one that you've had with a husband or a wife. God can take, when we put ourselves in the position for that to be resolved, God can take that and he can strengthen your relationship. He can draw you closer than you've ever been before. He can cause your relationship, your marriage to be deeper on a deeper level than it ever has been before. Now, conflict, we saw, actually provides three significant opportunities by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit. The first one we looked at last week, that's to, it gives us an opportunity to glorify God by trusting him, by obeying him, and by imitating him. It, it also gives us an opportunity in the midst of conflict. Some of you, um, your job is to resolve conflict. And, and you have an opportunity to serve other people through that process. You can influence them in a positive way. You can help bear their burdens. You can, you can confront them in love. We can learn, we can learn how to do this. And, and it is a wonderful thing. Um, and then the third thing that, that can occur, a positive thing that can occur, is we can grow to be like Christ. I mean, God, God wants us to be like him. He says that multiple times in Scripture. And, and one of the ways that, that that occurs is when we approach situations like a conflict the way that he would. 
Now, these concepts, these positive things, are often overlooked because we're after two things in the midst of a conflict, right? We're after the conflict to go away. Resolved or not, we want it to just to go away. Or we want to be the one that overcomes the other person in the midst of this conflict. I want to prove that I'm right, because I am. You know, I want that other person to finally realize that, that, that I'm the right one, and if they would just agree with me, then there would be no more conflict. I, seriously, I was having a theological debate with a good friend of mine. We were really close friends. And, and it was about a, a, a pretty um, significant theological concept, and, and we met halfway between his home and my home one day to, to finally kind of work through this, right? And, and, and I, I wouldn't agree with him. And, and, and he finally, at the end of our conversation, he said, you know, when, when you're finally willing to see my point of view, we can talk again. And that was it. I have not spoken to him since. Now, <laughs> this guy was a pastor, right? I mean, look, man, if, if you and I can't even figure this thing out, um, how can we expect people to? As if I'm not a person, right? Yeah, see, that's, that's sometimes we think, well, gosh, you know, pastors, they're, but they're people too. And, and, and we all need to be submitting in the midst of this journey that we're on. And today we're going to be looking at the second G, and the second G is for the word get. And it's get the log out of your own eye. Get the log out of your own eye. So let's just say hypothetically, of course, that you're in a conflict already. Okay, we've already managed to get down the path of conflict, and it's really not a good one. Um, things, things just aren't going well. What do we do now? What, as, a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, where do we go from here? How do we back up the wagon? And one of the most challenging principles of peacemaking is set forth in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. We're going to read the entire passage here in a second, so if you would turn to Matthew chapter 7, I would appreciate that. It's the first um, book of the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. And if you didn't bring a Bible this morning, there should be one under a chair, you know, Poke your neighbor or the person in front and say, hey, I need a Bible. Could you grab me one? And, and they'll, they'll find you one. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. But Jesus says this, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So let's, let's read the passage in its context. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Jesus says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others... You will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What? sort of humorous illustration is Jesus using here. So I, let's see, here it is right here. This is ginormous for a sliver. If you ever had this sliver in your hand, it would be incredible. But, but okay, I've got this sliver, right? And, and, you know, if it were in poking out of my eye, it would be pretty obvious to you, right? You would see this. Have you ever had something in your eye that you couldn't get out? Like a little piece of metal? Um, that always seems to happen to me. 
you know, before I grind something or before I do something above my head, I think to myself, you should really put goggles on, David. And then, and I think, nah, you know, that thing that happened those other three times, it won't happen again. It does. Anyway, this, this spec. But, but, but the picture Jesus is, is holding up to us is here, here is somebody else with this little sliver poked in their eye, and I'm trying to get them to get this out of their eye all of the time that I've got this thing. Right? I mean, that's the word picture that Jesus gives us. And, and he's dead serious about this. So what, what is he talking about here? What, what does this look like? First of all, I want to I comment this. I'm not going to talk about this, but this is not, Jesus is not making a blanket statement here that says you should never judge anybody ever. You should never go correct a brother or a friend. You should never, try, you should never see something wrong in someone else's life and go to them and say, hey, you need to fix this. Be- One of the reasons we know that is at the end of this passage, Jesus says, and then you will see clearly once you've removed this to help your brother. Okay, Paul says in other places that, that we are to go to other people and we are to correct wrong thinking. But, but Jesus is saying, there's this attitude that you have. There's this judgmentalness, this, this, this hypocrisy that, that is coming from you that you need to tend to. I found this study this week. It's, it, reveals, it, it reveals, it says, our bias blind spots. Bias blind spots. Secular study has nothing to do with spirituality or Christianity, but this is what they found. It was a couple researchers at the University of Toronto and at James Madison University in Virginia, and they proved something that we may already know. The study provocatively called cognitive sophistication does not attenuate the bias blind spot don't have any idea what that really means, but they concluded that we cut ourselves more slack than we give to others, right? No surprise there, but writing about this study in the New Yorker, Jonah Lehrer explains why we do this. He claims that we all have biased blind spots because there's a mismatch between how we evaluate others and how we evaluate ourselves, And I say, who needs the study, right? We've got the words of Jesus right here. He's telling us this. This happens, and we need to watch out for it. So he goes on to say, when considering the irrational choices of a stranger, for instance, we are forced to rely on how they behave. We see their biases from the outside, which allows us to glimpse their errors. And in the current culture we live, we have generally no problem with social media throwing out there what we think they did wrong, even if we don't even, if we don't even know the person, right? He says, however, when assessing our own bad choices, bad choices, we tend to engage in elaborate introspection. We study our motivations and search for relevant reasons. We lament our mistakes to therapists and ruminate on the beliefs that led us astray. As an example, if we drive crazy through traffic, it's because we have an important meeting or we don't do it that often and so forth. What is that? We rationalize it, right? Okay? But if someone else cuts us off in traffic, there's one simple, observable explanation. He's a jerk. He's an idiot. He's a terrible driver. 
Lehrer concludes that our bias blind spots are largely unconscious, which means they remain invisible to self-analysis and resistant to intelligence. In other words, he says, being smarter won't help you see your own junk. As a matter of fact, more intelligence may add to the problem. So for all of you really smart people in this room, we may need to have a conversation. So what are these blind spots? How can we introspect into our own lives as Jesus commands? Because secular culture would say that we have them. We know that we have them because Jesus says that we have them and we've experienced them. We've experienced them from other people. Right? Um, I'm not going to say names, but two people entered the church this morning and they were having a conversation about who was speeding coming here to, to church. You were going over the speed limit. Well, no, I wasn't. And to which the other person replied, well, I was going 75 and you passed me. What's the speed limit? Uh, 70. So the log, right, was, I guess, 75. The splinter was 78. I don't know. They were both sinning, in my opinion. But that happens every day, doesn't it? I read posts on Facebook about... I, I, just this week, I watched this commercial. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a popular Hollywood actress, and she's, they're showing pictures of cold puppies in, in, in pens alone and hungry and that sort of thing. And they're talking about... It's an ASPCA commercial and how we need to, how we need to, to fix this problem. And I get that. Yes, we need to care for animals. But I guarantee you that that person is pro-choice we got to save the animals, but out of their same mouth, says, but it's perfectly fine to murder unborn children. What, 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 how would we describe that? Who, what would we say that person is? They're a hypocrite. Because they say they value life, only this particular one, but they, out the other side of their mouth, are saying this. You know, I mean... Look, there are lots of things that we can be critical about, and I think we need to. Our government is even making decisions that I don't agree with, things that have vast ramifications for people, and I get I don't have the whole story, and I know it's only been a week, right? Um, um, there, in time, I think we'll find out some information that maybe we didn't know before, and we may still conclude that that was a dumb decision to make. But more often than not, we jump to conclusions... And we point fingers and we judge. And Jesus says, don't do it. He says, don't do it. So this morning um, in this passage, I see, or, or this morning I want to talk about two kinds of logs that, that, that we have in our eyes when we deal with conflict. Okay? Two logs. The first one is this. It's a log of attitude. It's a log of attitude. Um, Two different people can experience the same conflict in two totally different ways, depending on what their attitude is going into it. Any situation can be that way. If you get up grouchy in the morning and you haven't had your fifth cup of coffee and you need that fifth cup of coffee, and you go into a conversation with somebody and they, they say something that's just a little off or a little wrong or whatever, and you jump all over them, um, it's because of your attitude. And maybe the next day or the day before, had you been feeling better or you were, you know, you'd had that fifth cup of coffee or, or you know, that glass of water that you should drink instead of coffee. Um, 
maybe you had had grace in that situation and there wouldn't have been any conflict. You would have just sort of blown it off as something that an, an, an imperfect person might say. And you forgive him right on the spot. Right? And, and, and what, what points to that? It's, it's our attitudes. Um, have you ever heard this? That's kind of like the pot calling the kettle black. You ever heard that? Yeah, what, what, what is that saying? You're being a hypocrite. Um, you're, you're doing this, but you're, you're speaking out against this. And uh, I know there's a lot of people that like to point at us who, who are, are, are we're trying to be obedient, but yet we're still human and we still make mistakes. And they say, well, you're just a hypocrite. Well, I, I made a mistake. I was an idiot. I mean, I, you know, let's, let's talk about that. The, the opposite of that is, is saying and doing one thing and then completely living the opposite of that intentionally. That's being a hypocrite. And, and I think whenever we, 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 I hate to bring it up, but Facebook is full of it. it. It just is. I mean, this week I'm like, you know what, why do I even... I, I saw a post, it was like, Facebook used to be where I connected for, with friends, and now it's where I blah, 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 right? Then, then why even use it? I mean, I'm wrestling with this myself. You know, it's, it's useful, and I get a lot of good information, but is it really, does its usefulness overcome the crud that's on there? I don't know. I don't know. That's a decision that, that we each have to make. But, but it, it comes down to our attitude. I, again, my wife is looking at some posts on Facebook yesterday on her way to Scott's Bluff, and I was in a good mood on the way there. Then she asked me if I wanted to go into Hobby Lobby with her, and of course I said no. I'm just going to sit out here. I can be just as bored sitting in the car as I can walking, following you around Hobby Lobby. So what I did was I jumped on this same place where she was looking at earlier and I'm like reading post after post after post and my temperature is going up and my face is getting red because I'm like, this guy is a hypocrite. I mean, and it, ah. And I have a log of attitude because I started thinking of, of I started thinking, okay, he says this, and this is a really good thing. I mean, I'm all for that. But, but then, in the past, he has done this. So in my opinion, there's no credibility there. I shouldn't even be upset over this, because it's just like, oh, whatever. But that doesn't happen. My attitude gets bad. Jesus says that we are so quick to point out the little things. Little things. Now, we're not talking big things here. He's talking about little things. The little itty-bitty things. Like, like... You know, you continually getting after your wife for, for rolling the toilet paper on the wrong side. Because we all know there's a right way and a wrong way. Or squeezing the tube of toothpaste or whatever it is. Most couples fight over little things. And we fail to recognize that there are some big things that we ourselves need to be dealing with. And, and I think part of that is pointing out the little things to that other person. It takes our mind off of our big things. And it ruins our relationship. It creates conflict. It, it creates quarreling. I mean, Jesus says hypocrite twice in this passage. I mean, he's pretty clear on what he's talking about. So we need to ask whether we have had a critical, negative, or overly sensitive attitude towards other people. And is that leading to unnecessary conflict? Is it something that we just need to let go? Because 
we recognize that, that it's an issue because we're oversensitive or we're hypercritical or we're just being negative about this person. You know, one of the best ways to sort of um, let some sense sink down into our cerebral cortex is to, to meditate on Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. I, I want to read this to you. Um, it, it describes the kind of attitude that, that believers should have uh, when we're involved in a conflict. Paul, we, we looked at this weeks ago, um, Paul is pleading with Euodia and Sintetic, two women in the Philippian church who were at odds with each other. And he says, I, I plead with you to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. These fellow Christians, you can help each other work through this. Paul says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Right, that's number one. Glorify God. Put yourself in the right place. Worship him, glorify him. I will say it again, Paul says. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness isn't a thing we often go into conflict with. That's not like, okay, I'm going to be gentle in this situation. No, we, we gather all the people we can to support our side. We gather all the evidence and we go in and we want to knock heads. Because we want to come out on top, right? We want to overcome the opposition. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. God, I need your help. And I know from experience that when you pray that, he will be there and he will help you. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus from, I should have brought a smaller one, from the log that's in your own eye. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is lovely, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, the first one, whatever is true, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Even in the midst of a conflict. Think about those things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Oh man, is that hard. Because we have these blind spots and we want to be proven right or we want to be, uh, you know, we want to overcome. Have you ever experienced someone that was living the do as I say, not as I do philosophy? Um, it's pretty disingenuous, isn't it? I mean, I, I, a parent wouldn't actually tell their kid this, but they would live this way. You know, it's important as parents that, that, that as far as it's possible for us to do, we live the, what, what we teach our kids. You know, if you tell your kid when they have a conflict at school or there's a bully or somebody that's being mean to them, if we tell them to walk away, in our life somebody does that to us, we better walk away. Because, Jesus says, this, this judging that you're doing, this bar that you're holding other people accountable, guess what? That's your bar too. That's your bar too. Got a log of bad attitude in your guy? <laughs> it's time to heal.
It's time to surrender it to God. Today is the day to start. The second log is the log of sinful words and actions. Sin can be so deceiving, can't it? Uh, before you know it, a good friend is coming alongside of us and saying, dude, I saw how you responded in this situation the other day, and we need to talk about that. It's so, I mean, we're so quick to ignore and justify sinful words and actions in our lives. Um, and and it's, it's easy for us to become blind to it. Because we get really good at rationalizing it, right? Yeah, I know I shouldn't talk this way, but I want to make a point, so I say it. Or I, I know that, well, you know, you've, you've, you've shared a post or something. Well, I mean, I'm thinking that this might be true, but it's what I think, so I'm just going to put it up there. Um, oftentimes, this is the area where we, we really do need a good friend to come alongside of us and say, hey, man, I love you. And you need to know that this is, this is wrong. And, and you need to change this. Now, that's pretty risky, right? I mean, because in our culture today, it's like, well, you can't tell people how to live their life. You shouldn't judge people. Jesus says it right here in chapter 7. But Jesus does say that we should be able to show somebody the speck in their own eye. After we've done the hard work in our own life, of course, and we're not justifying our own stuff, and we're not living hypocritically ourselves. But I think it's my, I've said this before, I think it's my right to have a good friend who's close to me come to me and say, dude, this is wrong, you need to change this. I've noticed this. Because uh, some, sometimes I don't see it. I, I ended a conversation with some friends the other day, and after I left there, I, I texted one of my buddies, and I'm like, dude, did I start talking about myself too much? Because I, I sort of had the sense that I did, but when I was in the midst of it, it was, I mean, I'm telling stories, and you know how we get when we tell stories. You know, it's like, well, oh, yeah, well, I did this, and blah, 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 and I think that's what I did. Because I'm like, dude, I don't, I, tell me the truth, because I, I want to get better at not doing that. And he was like, well, you know, I don't think it was a big deal, so yeah, I did. <laughs> he didn't say no. He said, I don't think it was that big of a deal. Uh, so, um, so what do we do? What do you do? You're in a conflict. It's a mess. What's your next step? Well, I want to go through seven A's of confession um, really quickly. They're in your notes. I think it would be good for us to write them down because God does open our eyes to sin. He does use friends in our life. He does show us things that are wrong. And if we submit to him and we're like, okay, the next step is to do the right thing, and that's to move in the direction of healing and reconciliation. Confession is a big part of this. Now, many people have, have never experienced the freedom that comes from confection because they've never done it. They don't know how. And they've never learned how to confess their wrongs honestly and unconditionally. Instead, they use words like this. They say things like, I'm sorry if I hurt you. Have you ever said that to someone? I'm sorry if I hurt you. Well, so there's this little qualifier it, which shows to me that, well, you don't really think you hurt me, but, but you're just, you know, kind of playing nice, I guess. What about, 
let's just forget the past. Or, I suppose I could have done a better job. Uh, I guess it's not all your fault. (laughs) Right? That's a good one. I guess I could have had a little bit to do with it. Now, if you really want to make peace, ask God to help you breathe grace by humbly and thoroughly admitting your wrong. And one way to do this is the seven A's. The first one is this. Address everyone involved. Address everyone involved. All of those whom you affect have affected. It might even be a good idea to sit down with a piece of paper and say, in this conflict, I know it's not right. I'm going to fix it. I want to correct it. Who are the people that, are, that, are be, that have been affected by this? And list them by name. Number two, avoid the words if, but, and maybe. Don't try to excuse it. Don't try to minimize it because it, if it's a conflict and if it's, if it's kind of raging, it's a big deal, obviously, to you and this other person. So, so avoid words if, but, and maybe. Take responsibility. Number three, admit specifically. We're notorious for overgeneralizing, right? Right? You know, we, we have a morning of confession in our quiet time on Sunday morning, and it's, it's like, and, and we do this, Lord, please forgive me for all the sin that I committed yesterday. Okay. Um, maybe we should think about yesterday. And maybe we should get specific. Lord, um, and this is hard for us to do. Lord, uh, yesterday when I was going down the road, there was this this billboard on the side of the road and and you know it it caused my mind to go certain places and father i i would you please forgive me of that i know lord that that you yourself said that that lusting is 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 adultery and would you please forgive me for having committed adultery in my heart yesterday those are a little bit different aren't they aren't they <laughs> we need to be specific in uh, both our attitudes and our actions. And, and, and with this other person too. Not just with the Father, but the person that we're seeking to reconcile with. What did, what did I do specifically? Not just, you know, I said some things. Well, what were those things? Let's throw them out there. Maybe the other person has some things to add. Maybe you said some things you don't even remember saying. But I think you need to know. And as humans, we, we, we minimize mistakes and faults. We insert bias blind spots. So be specific. Number four, acknowledge the hurt. Maybe you have to ask, when I said this, how did it affect you? So that you know. Acknowledge, and then acknowledge that. Number five, accept the consequences. Uh, consequences, such as making restitution, if it was it, if, if it was a wrong that, that had to do with property or something, or or uh, um, you know, and and at the very least, don't expect that other person to just you know it, it could happen, but throw their arms around you and say, oh, you know, I forgive you of everything. You know that may not happen yet. 
So we need to accept the consequences of our actions. Number six, alter your behavior. We need to then change our attitude and our behavior toward this person or that person or that group or that group or whatever. And, and this, this has got to start with prayer and, and, and we have to submit to the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. I'm not talking about just outright behavior change, saying, I'm going to make up my mind and do this different. No, it's humbly submitting to the Lord saying, God, change my heart and my mind. And then finally, number seven is ask for forgiveness. Now, I want to point out on this last one that, that there's more to asking for, give, for forgiveness than saying I'm sorry. Right? And this makes it hard. When, when you go to someone and you say, I'm sorry for doing this because I know it, it made you feel this way or I know it did this to you, there's, there's a four-word question that we need to follow that up with. And this is especially true in our marriages. It's this, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And they may say, oh, yes, absolutely. They may say, "Mm, nah, not feeling it right now. And you need to follow that with, I appreciate you hearing me come to you and, and apologize. I hope that one day you can forgive me. It's difficult, but... But man, if, if we're going to resolve conflict, we, we need to go there. We need to go there. You know, I think the most important aspect of getting the log out of our own eye is to go beyond the confession of wrong behavior and to face up to the root cause of what that behavior is. And if you did the for further study last week, you saw this. Um, the for, oh man, I'm, I'm struggling with writing and, and condensing for further studies into a half sheet, two sides. So there's a full sheet. Um, if, you, if you want the for further study, it's on the information counter out there in the, in the atrium. You can grab a copy of it. Um, in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, it says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if you're thinking, I'm terrible, I've got a log in my eye and I've been living this way, I'm a hypocrite, what you need to hear today is that there's, for, that, that there's forgiveness available. Jesus wants to restore you. Jesus wants to remove that log from your eye. If you will simply submit to him and seek his forgiveness and confess the truth of the sin that's in your life. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. We all have logs. We all have splinters. And the Bible teaches that conflict comes from the desires that battle in your heart and in mine to have things. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's respect. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's obedience. Maybe it's things. And, and out of those desires and, and the want to have those desires or the revenge that other people could feel like you felt or, or just wanting to conceal the truth or bend others to our own will, a conflict is fueled by those selfish desires that rise up in us. And, and we elevate them then to sinful demands, such as a craving to be understood, loved, respected, or vindicated, and we begin to take place of God in our relationship with that other person. 
I know what's best for you. You need to do this, this, and this, and then our relationship will be okay. Let God dictate that. Oh, but maybe he'll do it differently. <laughs> yeah, probably. Anytime we become excessively preoccupied with something, even a good thing, and seek to find happiness, security, or fulfillment in it rather than in God, we are guilty of what? Idolatry. Idolatry. And it inevitably leads to conflict with God and with other people. James, in James 4, 1 through 4, says, When we want something but don't get it, we kill and we covet, we quarrel and we fight. A source of conflict, idolatry. That is where logs are formed <laughs> in, the midst of con- in the midst of idolatry. There's three basic steps that we can take to overcome idolatry. I'm going to do these really quick, and then we're going to spend some time worshiping and, and thinking about what God is speaking to our hearts and our minds this morning. Three, three basic steps to overcome idolatry. Now, I... We're notorious for this, right? It's like, if you do these three easy steps, you will... Okay, this is an idea of a process that we can submit ourselves to. The first thing that we need to do to overcome idolatry in our life that fuels conflict is to identify wrong worship. What are the things in your life that you're spending the majority of your time thinking about, trying to get, doing, etc., above and beyond the time that you spend seeking God the Father? What are you worshiping? What is becoming an idol in your life? And it could be anything, honestly. So identify wrong worship. Number two is identify and renounce desires that are contributing to the conflict. In in other words, um, apply the seven A's here. Maybe it's acceptance that you're, that, that you're seeking and, and, and you're doing everything you can to be accepted by as many people as you can and you're even working really hard to be accepted by God. And, and essentially, you're, you're making acceptance become an idol in your life because it's even elevated above God because everybody's involved in that. So, so that's identified um, as wrong worship. But then, but then what are the, the feelings and the things that, the desires that are contributing to this? M- maybe it's, maybe it was, you know, um, you, you didn't get a lot of affirmation as a child and you're trying to, to, to use this to replace that or to overcome that. I mean, there's lots of things that could, could be involved in number two. Identify and then renounce them. That's not true. God said that he values me. He died for me. He, he loves me. And then the third thing is to pursue right worship. Deliberately pursue right worship. Fix your heart and your mind on the kingdom of God. Seek joy, fulfillment, and satisfaction in Christ alone. That will, that will help us remain in a place of humility and, and will, will help us to recognize that, as, that there's, there's these big things in our own life that, that we need God to help us correct and, and to, to heal us from, to get the logs out of our own eyes, and, and then we can help other people. 
As God guides and empowers these efforts, we can find freedom from the idols that fuel conflict. And we can be motivated to make choices that will please and honor Christ. And it's a change of our heart, and, in, in, and it will often speed the resolution of a conflict. When you give up your right to be right, and, and you submit yourself to the work and, and the molding that God wants to do in your life, and you engage another person in the midst of a conflict, it looks a whole lot different then if you go in there with a chip on your shoulder, and by golly, you're going to be right. Right or wrong, you're going to be right. And we often end up being so right, maybe, that we're wrong. I say it's time to heal. And I want to challenge you to focus this week on, on identifying logs that are in your own life. If you've, if you've made comments or said things to people about certain beliefs that you have or biases that you have, and maybe it is just that, it's a bias or an opinion, but you've stated it as fact, ask the Lord to give you the Holy Spirit to, to illuminate the logs that are in your own eyes. And, and it's amazing how much better you can see when this is not here. Right? Kyle Eidelman wrote a devotional to his book, Not a Fan. And he starts with Jeremiah 10, 23, and he says, Lord, I know, uh, this is what Jeremiah 10, 23 says, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. And then he says this, I have a GPS on my phone, but rarely use it. I usually tend to think I know where I'm going, even when I don't. For the most part, every time I do use the GPS, it's because I've already tried finding something myself, but have managed to get lost. Ever done that? Now, that's not totally true here in Wyoming, because sometimes a GPS can lead you astray, right? There are two tracks that appear like they're roads, and you come to a barbed wire fence gate, and you go, hmm... I wonder if this rancher gave Google permission to tell me to go through here, right? Anyway, <clears throat> he says, for the most part, every time I do use the GPS, it's because I've already tried, some, tried finding something myself but have managed to get lost. When I finally type the destination into my phone, the first question that comes on the screen is this, directions from current location? In other words, do you want to start where you are? The answer to that question seems obvious enough, right? Of course I want to start from here. I'm not even sure where here is, but I'm confident that I want to start from here. And as soon as I answer that question affirmatively, the GPS begins calculating my route, not from where I started before I got lost, not from the direction I should be headed or from a point farther along my journey, but from right where I am currently located. So why does such an obvious answer physically seem to elude people spiritually? I've discovered that most, the most common reason people give for not following Jesus is that they want to get their lives together first. Or, I might add, they think that what they've done is so bad that he won't forgive them for it. They want to get a few things squared away or 
take care of some personal issues. They want to start their journey from somewhere else than where they are currently located. When Jesus invites you to follow him, he wants you to start right now from your current location. You don't have to go back to where you started. You don't need to get a little closer on your own. He reaches out to you with grace and love and invites you to follow him. Feeling weak? Depend on his strength. Trapped in sin? Find freedom in his endless mercy. Been down this road before? Know that he is still patient, patiently waiting for you to come home. Lost? Trust his directions. But from right here, right now. No matter where you are at today, he wants to start you from here. Jesus wants you to start following him from right where you are, and he wants you to start right now. And it promises to be an incredible journey, no matter what he said to you this morning. Maybe it has, even, maybe it has absolutely nothing to do with conflict. He brought you here today to give you a different word, and you've heard it. Well, I hope that you will leave here today knowing that he doesn't want you to start anywhere else but right here whether that's believing and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the first time, today would be a great day for that. Or there's a conflict and you're not exactly sure what to do and you feel like a failure because of it, today, start there. God, what's my next step? Is it the seven A's? Is it something different? Let's pray. Worship team, come up. Fathers, God, I... I pray that, that, that every one of us in this room are, are followers of Jesus, that, that our names have been written in the book of life because we have believed in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and we have surrendered our life to you to control and do with what you want. And Father, I'm learning that following you just, it, 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 it's taking the next step. It's, it's listening to the next command or learning the, the thing that you're trying to teach me today. And Father, I pray that we would all seek to become more like you. I know you know me and you know every aspect of my character and my love and what's right and what's wrong in my life, and I I need you to help me. Oh, Father, I pray that you would show me logs in my own eye. Maybe it'll take a friend. Father, I pray that we would all submit ourselves to you to that point. And I know that we can trust you to lead us. Lord, I pray that we would all surrender our willpower to you. Thank you for giving us your word today and for leading us. Help us to follow. And now, Lord, as we, as we sing and we worship, and in the midst of that, we'll worship you in the giving of our tithes and our offerings. Father, help us to hear you. Draw us into worship in Jesus' name. Amen.